Hi, this is Vince Mendoza, and you are listening to Chords, Vines, and Dines. Good afternoon. We just listened to a little little snip there from uh, Vince Mendoza. Our that was high friend, spirits. Yeah, our good friend Vince Mendoza. Doesn't he play beautifully? Oh, he, I I said he's mesmerizing. There was um, a time where I was went to shoot photos at the coach house of Don Waite, and he was doing a solo performance. And very few times have I actually had to put my camera down and just watch. Because he mesmerized, it was so mesmerizing his playing, and I get that same feeling with Vince when he's like this. It's just I I have a hard time photographing. I just want to watch and listen. And during our interview with him, he mentions another guitarist, Tommy Emmanuel. And if you ever get the chance to look him up on YouTube and just watch him play, it's you really cannot believe that that's one person making all that music. It's, oh, I know. it's like he has six hands. Oh, it's incredible. Well, happy Sunday afternoon. You are listening to Chords, Vines, and Dines with Cat Ellis. That's me. And, and Tom, Tom Plant. Plant. That's me. That's you. <laughs> Fun show today. Oh, uh, we got a full show. Uh, our uh, first guest, Joel Karsten, has got you all uh, fired up about getting a straw bale garden. Well, I'm. we're in between storms out here, so I'm like <laughs> no rushing. Kidding. Yeah, I'm rushing in the, in the yard trying to get everything done, and... Um, He's got the straw bales. I he sent me all the goodies for two of them. Isn't that great? I am so anxious, and like I said, I'm going to uh, take pictures and document. It takes about two weeks to condition that uh, the the bales. Yeah, he sent you some bale buster. Bale buster, and what it does, it's I guess full of nitrogen, and it breaks it down. So actually, I'm growing or making my own compost and growing plants in the compost, plus the bales retain water so i won't have to water as much so um i'm going and to no try. weeds no weeds that's it and so i'm going to uh take pictures and document it and we'll follow it on um on the facebook page and we just teased you with vince mendoza we're gonna we had a nice chat with vince this week and then finally robert schuler i've known him only for about 10 or 12 years this has been the director of uh, P- public relations at Melissa's Produce for 26 years, Cat, something like that. Something like that. He is so knowledgeable, and and he's <laughs> he's just a great guy. And boy, have we been enjoying the fruits of. Uh, you Melissa's. caught me with a pink pineapple in my <laughs> mouth on that one. <laughs> well, we'll learn more about pink pineapple and other uh, d- delicacies from Melissa's Produce. But uh, should we get started with Joel Karsten? Yes, let's go to Joel. I'm delighted uh, to welcome our guest, Joel Karsten. Uh, Joel, uh, you've just published a book called Straw Bale uh, Garden Complete. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it's my fifth book. Can you believe there's that much to write about that subject? I'm stunned. Uh, I, I had five, never... five books on the same subject? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? Every That's time amazing. you have a successful book. The publisher wants you to put a different spin on it and come out with something else the next year. So that's what we do. <laughs> I, I would, don't imagine you're complaining about that. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really good selling book, and it's done really well for the publishing company. So you know, whenever you have something that's a big success, they keep pushing, pushing, pushing. So, and and it's a good thing. We learn a lot of new stuff all the time. So it's it makes you know filling up another book easy to do. How did you come up with the idea of, of doing the uh, straw bales? Well, it's kind of a, the age-old story where necessity is the mother of invention. Um, about 30 years ago, so it's a long time ago already, I graduated from college and I bought my first house. And I have a degree in horticulture from the University of Minnesota, and I just graduated from college. So just bought this house, and it turns out I had one inch of usable topsoil at this new property it was terrible underneath and i grew up on a farm you know where we had three and a half feet of sandy loam some of the most productive soil on planet earth is in the county where i grew up nobles county minnesota and so i knew i wasn't gonna be able to grow a garden in that rotten soil but i had a big problem i had just graduated college and i just bought this house so i didn't have money to build raised beds which is what a normal horticulturalist would do immediately would just build raised beds but you know having grown up on a farm i remembered back to when we'd have broken bales of hay or, or straw that would get thrown against the barn you know the spring would break you just throw it against the barn and a year would go by and the biggest tallest healthiest plants in the whole county were the weeds that would grow out of these bales laying by the barn so now I have a degree in horticulture. I know it takes almost identical nutrients to grow thistles as it does to grow tomatoes and peppers. So I called my old professors and I said, I got this brilliant idea. I want to grow vegetables right out of decomposing bales. And they kind of poo-pooed the idea. They said, I don't think that'll work, Joel, but um, nobody, I don't know if anybody's ever tried that. Why don't you um, call around? So I called some other universities and I never got really a good answer from academia. But I started doing some experimenting, and for the first 14 years, me, my dad, and a few other people were all that cared in the whole world. Uh, <laughs> nobody really cared. I did it in my backyard. You know, I had a few friends and colleagues that were fascinated by it, and a few other people that you know I convinced to do it. And then a reporter came from the local NBC affiliate that had heard about this. And he put it on TV, and just like the next day, it exploded. Once it got on TV, now the garden clubs wanted me to come and talk, and I went and did a whole bunch of cooperative um, adult education programs at different school districts and stuff. And and so 16 years ago, when I was on that TV show, like the next day, it just launched. And since then, you know, with the advent of social media, that that's really been an important part of our growth because pictures – don't lie. You know, one picture tells a thousand words and you put a picture of a beautiful plant, tomato plant with, you know, a hundred tomatoes hanging on there coming out of a bale of straw. And it's hard to deny that this method works really well and that it's viable and, you know, it really works. And then I got really lucky, you guys, seven days after my first book published with a real publisher that was in 2013. I got a full-page book review in the New York Times. Wow. And that, and that literally just, I mean, it was like a page and a jumper page. Um, on, on the 21st of March, 
2013. It's like changed my life. And it, the book got translated into multiple languages right away and became the best-selling gardening book for like 30 months straight. Um, and just like was this this revolution in backyard gardening. And, you know, even though I've penetrated, we have gardeners now in 60 countries, wow. if you can believe that, that do straw bale gardening. And even though we've converted, we know we've sold a lot of books, so we probably have a, at least a million, you know, if there's one gardener for every book we've sold, at least a million people that are doing straw bale gardening or have tried straw bale gardening. And so it just kind of spreads. It's like this grassroots thing that, you know, once one person does it, your neighbor sees it, and it just spreads. Talk about going viral, Joel. Yeah, it's like the ultimate going viral. Going viral very slowly, however. You know, <laughs> I've never gotten one of those, you know, appearance on Good Morning America or something like that that could just, you know, completely set you up for life. Well, you I've got never the gotten next, anything like that. You got the next best thing. You're on here with us. So. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so so I, I'm curious now on the... Uh, on the plant, are they getting the nutrients from the decomposing straw? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the biology, about how this all happens. How and why so we this start out, yeah. Yeah, we start out basically with a bale of straw or a bale of hay, a bale of any compressed organic material. I mean, I call it straw or straw bale gardening because that's what I started with was straw, but you can use hay bales. In some parts of the world, they use compressed bales of sugar cane stalks after they've been squeezed you know, like for the rum harvest or sure. whatever. Um, anything basically that's compostable, but you gotta put it in a bale because it needs to be squeezed really tight for this to work well. And then we add a source of nitrogen. So if you're gonna do this organically, you're, I would highly suggest you use blood meal. Um, we also use, we make a product now called Bale Buster, which is a whole other story, but um, Bale Buster. So you can use lawn fertilizer if you're not an organic gardener or if you're an organic gardener, I would highly recommend blood meal because it has a lot of nitrogen in it. And that nitrogen is not to feed the plants because there's no plants in the bale yet. But for two weeks before we can plant, we have to do a process we call conditioning the bale. And if you've been a gardener, you, know, you understand what composting is. This is really like a static compost inside the bale. So we're not going to turn it or anything like you do a normal compost bin. But we're just going to put nitrogen on it. That's going to feed the bacteria that are already in there. The bacteria are going to quickly colonize the whole bale. And you can tell they're, they're growing in the bale because the bale will get hot. Put your hand in there and you can feel heat generated coming out of this bale. Now you can imagine for a northern gardener like we are up in, in Minnesota, what a huge impact that makes in the spring when you can put a tomato plant into a bale that's 100 degrees instead wow. of soil that's 50 degrees. So it really has an impact on getting those warm season vegetables started earlier um, just because of soil temperatures and every everywhere in the world it's the same thing everybody waits to plant until their soil warms up and then you know once it gets 68 or 70 degrees the tomatoes start to grow so that's a big advantage for us so the bales don't get hot that means bacteria are colonizing inside the bale and then the bacteria have eaten the nitrogen that we put on the bale they've colonized now they start to metabolize the straw so remember when the straw was grown out in the field this wheat straw for instance that, that seed that grew in the ground took in nutrients from the soil, things like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, you know, molybdenum, zinc, calcium, iron, manganese, all of the macro and micronutrients that it takes to build the cells that build the stems and the leaves and the seeds, et cetera, of that wheat plant. So some of the seeds go to market, become Wheaties or, you know, whatever. 
And the, all the rest of those molecules that were absorbed out of the soil are still there. They're just stuck in the form of leaves and stems and whatever's left of that straw. So now this bacteria comes along and begins to metabolize the cells of these stems and leaves and breaks the cells back down into the molecules that they were made from. So inside this bale, there's going to be a whole bunch of floating around molecules of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, molybdenum, zinc, calcium, iron, all these little molecules that then can be absorbed through the roots of another plant. So the inside of the bale becomes soil. That's the elusive thing. People think you're planting in a straw bale where you are, but the inside of the bale has already become early stage soil by the time we plant. We're just not waiting for it to look like black soil on the ground. We're catching it a little bit early. As soon as biologically it's begun to break down, those molecules are freely floating inside the solution, inside that bale, and they can be absorbed by another plant. So it's like this magic that happens after about two weeks where this inside of this bale becomes soil. So Joel, since our show is called Cords, Vines, and Dines, how about a grapevine? Could you could you plant grapevines in a straw bale? As a matter of fact, you can, and I know it because it's been done, um, not by me, but we had a garden in, believe it or not, in the Loire Valley in France wow. at a chateau. They do, they call this the International Flower and Garden Festival. It happens every year at Chateau, oh, what is it called? I can't even remember. I can't remember the French name of it, but if you, if you Google... Um, strawberry, or uh, if you Google International Flower and Garden Festival in France, you'd find it. Anyway, so at this chateau, they have 28 little vignette gardens, like spaces that are all these wedge-shaped gardens. Every year, they scrape them down to the ground, and they start over. And so they have a contest where everybody submits a design, and then you come in, and they have a theme, so you set up these little vignette gardens. And then all summer long, they have a, a garden tour. So people, you know, flying in their private jets from Russia and China and everywhere, and and then tour this garden, you know, this beautiful garden at the Chateau, and they drink wine, and they, you know, have all kinds of fun, and then there's a contest about who wins for the best vignette, the best design, but this goes on for six months, this does. So this um, designer, architect from, landscape architect from Paris, designed a straw bale garden as one of these little vignettes, and in there he had four different rows of bales kind of like hillsides it's just, it was just a beautiful garden way he did it kind of dug the bales into the ground so they were all arching out of the ground um it looked like hillsides in a monet painting as you looked at it through the the entry door which was like a frame of a painting it was beautiful and then he had stuff you would have for like your appetizer on the first row of bales and then, you know your entree on the second row of bales and vegetables and then the third one was like dessert and then there was wine and cheese in the back and i said pierre how are you going to do cheese that's impossible he said oh i'm going to have a goat <laughs> the goat lasted for the first weekend and it kept jumping out of the pen so they just stayed the goat but they did have grapevines back there growing in the, in the in the far back to show people you know wine and cheese and whatever and they did really well i mean it, they did produce grapes so you know the thing about strawberry gardening is you're planting things in there that you really want to harvest that first year because the bale is going to become soil. And we usually use the bales twice for two seasons, but by the end of the third season, you have nothing left but a little hump of soil in your garden. So you basically so, get a year you get a year out of a bale, correct? 
Well, no, two years. Yeah, you plant oh. two years. The first year, warm season stuff because the bales get really hot. The second year, the bales don't heat up again. So that's a good bale for root crops and cool season stuff, you know, spinach and lettuce and stuff like that is great in a second year bale. So kind of have a two year rotation, buy a couple new bales every year and then use last year's bales for other crops. So I'm I'm trying to get the visual on all of this. So you get the you've got the bale and do you kind of like carve out a little part of it and then put in your, your nitrogen and all of that or No, you sprinkle it on top and then you just use your water hose and you and you blast a stream of water and you just soak the top of it. Um, takes about 30 seconds to melt that nitrogen, you know, whatever fertilizer you put on top, whether it's organic or regular, you kind of melt that into the bale. Mm-hmm. And the bacteria are very mobile, so they'll come up and they start digesting that nitrogen. The thing of it is, is remember, bacteria are really small. You can't see them. You need a 400 power microscope just to see what they are. But they're there, and you can tell they're there because it'll start to get warm. That's really the only way you put your hand in and you feel that it's getting warm. But um, you don't need to carve any of the bale out. The, the straw becomes soil. So when you go to plant your tomato, you know, you buy your tomato at the garden center, you bring it home, you take the pot off, and you shove the roots right. You make a hole in the bale. You'll see you can squish a hole okay. down in the bale because they get kind of soft after they condition. And you just shove the roots right down in the bale, and you push the straw back around it, and you stand back. And you know, the thing will grow so fast it hits you in the chin on the way up. <laughs> so it, it, they, the stuff really does take off well. Now, if you're doing seeds, that's a little different. If you're doing big seeds, like peas and beans are a big seed, those you can just push right into the bale itself, just about two inches deep, you know, just poke it in with your finger. But if you're planting teeny tiny seeds, basil, for instance, or carrot seeds, those you have to make a seed bed on top of the bale first. And that seed bed is there just, you know, use a little potting mix or something. Don't put soil on top because if you put soil, you're going to get weed seeds back again, which we're trying to avoid. Remember, strawberry garden, there's no weeding. So that's one of our big selling points. What a big plus that is. What a big plus to not have weeding. It really is. You know, on our on our Facebook page, it's funny to hear um, in the fall, you know, people will write comments and say, this is my first year doing a straw bale garden, and I want to tell you how upset I am with you, that I didn't learn about this 20 years ago, because I've been on my hands and knees pulling weeds for 20 years, and I'll never go back to growing in the soil ever again. You know, they just love it, and they just rave about it. So, yeah, that is a big plus. There's a lot of big advantages. You know, the fact that there's no weeds, that's a big one. It holds a lot of water. A dry bale of straw will suck up and hold from five to seven gallons of water inside that bale. Make it really heavy. You know, saturated bale of straw, you can't even pick it up. It really gets heavy. So there's a lot of reservoir in there for moisture. So you don't have to water as often, and you'll see that it absorbs water when it rains. You know, it sucks it all up. Um, so, and then it divvies out real slow. The interior of that bale takes forever to completely dry out. I mean, you could literally you could saturate it once and leave it the whole summer, and it'd probably wow. still be wet Wow. So they really hold water. I think we just lost awesome. Kat. She's running out to the uh, garden store to get her, her <laughs> straw bale and her bale buster. She's already yeah. reading well, my mind over here. Um, I got a lot of Californians that just love it, you know, especially Southern California where you guys have hot, dry weather. So. Well, I'm just getting ready to set up my garden, and I am doing the raised beds because I have gophers mm-hmm. so bad out here. Um, and I would assume the gophers wouldn't be crawling up inside these... Uh, straw bales would they yeah you know i always tell people if you do have existing gophers it's not like they're going to come because of the straw bales but if you already have them put down some hardware cloth wire 
you know, the real skinny little wire with the real tiny holes in it. Right. It's not screen, but it's just real thin holes. Just unroll a roll of that on the ground and then put the bales on top of that. And that way they can't come up from underneath because that's what they like to do is come down and come right. underneath the bale and they go up inside and eat your potatoes or whatever your root crops are inside the bale. So, you know, we're in the gopher state of Minnesota, so we have gophers. <laughs> I, think, and, I uh, think I have as many gophers as you have in the state over yeah. there. I tell you, I had to uh, rototill my yards just to try to get rid of them because we couldn't do anything else. I mean, they, I couldn't kill them. Yeah, have, you just... tried, have you tried castor bean oil? No, that's, that's one they, I don't think I've see. tried. I mean, I have a list yeah. of about 40 that I have tried. Nothing has worked, but yeah. that one I don't that's think I've tried. Castor bean oil, that's what they always say. After uh, rototills, I have absolutely no grass. I have just dirt. I'm getting ready to put in, you know, my garden. And with all these rains, I haven't seen any signs now of gophers in quite a while. So maybe they're gone. Maybe they floated away yeah. this time. Keep your, keep your fingers crossed, huh? Yeah, well, I am going to put that, uh, you know, that uh, wire down down below. So I don't trust those little yeah. boogers. <laughs> I mean, they're bold, yeah, too. Yeah. They'll come right out while you're standing there. And stick their tongues out at you. Yeah. Yeah, they can do a lot of damage. So, That's for um, sure. Well, I tell you, <clears throat> I'm going to, for sure, get myself a couple of bales, and I'm going to try them, and I think, Tom, let's report back on see Absolutely. How I did. Why don't we check back in with you in a couple of months, Joel? Yeah, I'll have to get Kat's information. I'll mail her a little a little care package oh some stuff she can she can use so I, can you garden make mainly organically or do you use other I'm products pretty much organic, and, and unless it okay. comes to killing gophers and then i didn't care i was going for anything you know <laughs> m80s you know <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't find organic dynamite huh? no. no that didnn't work you know i felt like i was being caddyshack over here chasing these gophers around but um no, I pretty much, yeah. you know, go go organic. Um, I've used neem oil and stuff on my tomatoes for some of the other little critters on there, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you have to send me your address, and I'll get you a little care package for your oh, first experience with you. your strawbell garden. Huh. Joel, how can folks find you on Facebook? Uh, learn to Grow a Strawbell Garden. It's way too long of a name, but that's what we started with. When Facebook first started, how many years ago? So now we have all these people that we don't want to lose them. So it's learn to grow a strawberry garden. But they can find us really easy by Googling strawberry garden. We have strawberrygardens.com, strawberrygardenclub.com. We're everywhere online. So um, Instagram, everywhere. We'll encourage so, our listeners to go out and buy at least one of your five books. Yeah, fantastic. That'd be great. Many thanks, Thank Joel. So it's much. been a pleasure. Oh, thank yeah, you thanks so for much. having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good, good one. And we are back. Yes, we are. We actually didn't go anywhere. We were here the whole time, but listening to Joel, isn't he great? He is. What do you mean we didn't go anywhere? I left the room and came back. <laughs> <laughs> You're letting uh, all of our secrets out of the bag. All the secrets out. Well, I went out just for a second. I did come right back in. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm so anxious. The weather is beautiful right now, and I just want to get outside. And I've been really spreading the word about the uh, straw bale. I'm just so excited to try it. It's fun. I've been out and about, and people will go, oh, look at the weather. Isn't it beautiful? And let's hope it lasts for more than a day or two. <laughs> We've had so much rain, but it's it's really, it's it has made a big 
dent in the drought, which is what we had all been hoping for, I think. Well, my big concern with the uh, straw bales, what am I going to plant in them? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, sky is the, the limit. The world I is your know. oyster. And I just got a message on Facebook from Joel saying that sunflowers can grow in there, too. Oh, cool. So so nice to see that the two of you have become friends. Yeah. Nice man. I'm going to uh, be in touch with him a lot, I can, can tell. Yep, good deal. And uh, so what do we got now? Oh, we got cool. some. I've got some cards in my hand. I got cards, too. Are we playing poker? We're, yep, yes, we are. I double down. Okay, we're playing the game of food. Okay. And do you want to start or do you want me to? Go ahead. All right, and the... Uh, Category is Cooking Tools and Techniques, Mama oh. Cat. Oh, boy. Developed by California insurance salesman Harry Baker, the chiffon cake owes its moist texture and long shelf life to A, melted butter, B, vegetable oil, C, whipped egg whites, or D, mayonnaise. I go with C, whipped egg whites. No. No. Believe it or not, it is B, vegetable oil. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Ooh, okay. (laughs) All right, your turn. Um, Okay, this is under ingredients. Okay. I don't really see how this could be an ingredient. But anyway, yeah, (laughs) ingredients. While its briny flavor doesn't win over everyone... This greenish part of the lobster is often considered a delicacy. I a, know the answer. What? Tamale. Oh, God, bite me. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> Want to hear the other choices? Gills, brain, veins, or tamale? Okay. People and pop culture. Okay. What was the name of the first breakfast cereal invented by James Caleb Jackson in 1863? Was it A? Cornflakes, B, grape nuts, C, granola, or D, shredded wheat? Ooh. I will, wait a minute, what was A? Cornflakes. Huh, I'll go with A. It was D. What was it? Granula. Granula? Granula. (laughs) Oh, jeez. All right, this one, this one is a no-brainer. Under regional dishes. Okay. What are Rocky Mountain oysters? <laughs> <laughs> Can we say testicles? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got A, fried oysters, B, fried sheep's brains, C, stuffed clams, or D, fried bulls, bulls' testicles. D, bulls' testicles. Remember that one movie um, with, with Chevy Chase? And they called them lamb fries? Yes. <laughs> he was so funny. <laughs> that was... <laughs> He was on the record of eating lamb fries till he knew what they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of show today, so she'll uh, get into that great visit we had with Vince Mendoza. Our, yes, our... we're going to go into Vince, and then right after that, after Vince, we're going to play his Highway 154. They're just going to kind of run in together. And during our interview, he'll tell you why it's called Highway 154. Yes. Let's go to Vince. Oh, Vince, I am so excited to have you on the show. You were on our show once before when we were just Cords and Vines. And you must be one of the hardest working musicians around here right now. You're always playing, you're teaching, and and all the family time that you're spending, too. How do you get all the time to do all of that? <laughs> um, it's not easy. 
uh, there are things that I should be getting done that aren't. We'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> you started uh, your music career really early, um, and you played with some of the top artists in the world. You want to name a few of them, or? Well, probably the most recognizable would be Michael Jackson, <clears throat> and then I toured with um, Tiffany, the wow. pop star. Wow. Um, and then there's been other things along the way, but I suppose those are the most notable. You were actually at a gig that I played with Kiki Epson. Oh, David yeah. Pack was on the gig. Remember yes, that? yes. He was phenomenal. From Ambrosia, right? Yes. I yes. love Kiki. She is such a sweetheart. We both love Kiki. She's, she's a sweetheart and super talented. And a lot of people may not know that she's uh, Buddy Epson's daughter, Buddy, who was Jed Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies. I know. <laughs> yeah, I think she's pretty proud of her dad. She's very proud of her dad. I, I, love, I spoke with her about him. I love the music she's yeah. written about oh, him, too. Yes. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it got everything she does. She's a really good songwriter. That was such a good concert. Anytime I see you, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised because you're not always on the bill. But when I go there, I go, there's Vince. And when I went to see you with John Lane, um, and then uh, my grandson was with me, and he was, there's Vince. <laughs> you're you're yeah. known all around, and... I never, I mean, I'm not surprised anymore when I see you playing uh, with somebody else because you're just always playing and then you headline yourself on some of these gigs. I'd say 98% of the time I'm by myself, um, which is different than what it used to be. Um, and then I still, I squeeze in band situations just because it's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> You're playing a band, and, and John Lane's band is super fun. Are they still called Grass? I don't think he's calling it that anymore. But we are, um, he's gone in and recorded some songs that he's written, and then the rest of us are scheduled to be going in and putting in our two cents on it musically. That's exciting. So, yeah, so hopefully you'll be hearing from him. He's writing our um, our new theme song for Chords, Vines, and Dines. He wrote our original one. And he said he'll work on our. He's been working on our second one. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. So, Vince, how did you get started in music? Were you a child prodigy? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, my, I think my mom. I, I was going home from school one day, and she never picked me up. All of a sudden, I see my mom outside the school. And she says, get in. <laughs> and, and took me to a guitar lesson. And the main reason for it was to keep me out of trouble. That, that was her reasoning. Did and I guess it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Were you that kind of kid? <laughs> well, I, I, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, mean, I was pretty young. You know how boys are. <laughs> So you did your guitar lesson, and you turned out you you were good at it, and you liked it. And then what happened? You know, some people I've, I've been asked similar things to that, and I I keep trying to figure it out. But I honest honestly felt the whole time that 
at a certain point I had no choice. I had to pursue this. It was just tugging. Um, some people are called to do different things, and I, I certainly could have picked an easier path in life, but um, that's just what was calling me, I, I, for lack of a better way to put it. So but, how did um, you get involved with Michael Jackson? To, let, let's hear that story. Well, I, um, at a certain point, it was after college at Long Beach State, um, I learned about this place where all the studio musicians had their cartage done from, and it was this guy named Andy Brower out in North Hollywood. Um, his, uh, it was Andy Brower's Studio Rentals is what it was called, and I sought it out, went interviewed, and got a job, and moved to North Hollywood all within a week. Wow. And then, so, um, it was the proverbial right place, and um, he had called Andy, my boss, and said, are there any unknown players that you could refer to us for some of these Michael tunes? We just want to try some different guys. And Andy referred me, and that's how it happened. And it was incredible because they moved all my stuff. I just walked in, and everything was set up, and I just felt like so, so happy and so lucky to have that happen, you know. What are some of the tunes you played on with Michael? <clears throat> it was it was only one tune and man, it was early nineties, I'm trying to think. It was for the Dangerous album. Okay. And they they recorded like forty tunes and the one I was on didn't go on the record, but mm -hmm. I, I honestly cannot remember the name of it. But <clears throat> I'll never forget it. Uh, how how could you? How could you? Yeah. How about uh on tour with Tiffany? Mm -hmm. How did you get uh, that one? Well, at the same job, um, this friend of mine who was like, we were just friends. He was a guitar player, so was I. He had just gotten a um, gig with Chicago and had the gig all show up until about a year ago. So for 30-something years. But, but at that point, he had just gotten it, and they knew him, and they asked for a referral. He referred me. And um, I get the call, and I was up in Lake Arrowhead with my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and said, can you come in back home and audition for her? And so I did. And um, it was a really crazy audition. They, he purposely gave me charts that had too many bars, and the tracks, they were, it was in the recording studio where she recorded, and he purposely sped it up so it was out of tune, and he was just testing to see if I was picking up on all that. And so with all, all this stuff that was going wrong, and I'm going, oh, my God, this is weird, you know. And so he goes, no, you're fine. Keep going. And um, and then he made me look at the camera and sing a tune. So I just played Jimi Hendrix's Little Wing and left. And then a day or so later, they asked me to come play. That's fantastic. <clears throat> that was it. That was a fun, fun time in life. Oh, I can only imagine. That would yeah. be fun. I think it, I would. I would love to be on tour. Next time you go on tour events, remember me as the uh, your your official staff photographer, and I get to go on tour with you guys. Whoever it is, I don't care. I just want to go on tour. Heck yeah, yeah. Um, that would be fun. I'll tell you though, like I've. I've just staying in these hotels out here when I have to, I was telling my family, like, I don't know about this hotel business. You know, you, when you're, like, gone for a year, I don't know how they do it. 
I I know so many musicians that that tour have a grueling tour schedule, and I say, do you get tired when you're playing? They said, no. He said, we get paid for traveling and staying in hotels. This is the getting on stage and playing. That's that's the fun part. That's the whole reason we do it. That sums it up, right there. The the work is the work is the travel and the staying in the hotels and all of that. That's the work. That's what that's what you're getting paid for. Yeah, and like today, you know, I I try to make the days productive. I practice for several hours and then took care of some business things. And you try to make use of the day, but you're in some hotel. Is you know, I would just rather be at home. You know? Sure. But grateful nonetheless. So Vince, you're playing in Palm Springs. You said four days a week now. Currently, it'll it'll take a break. It's I've been going since October, and uh, as soon as it heats up, probably at the end of May or June, the restaurant goes on hiatus because it's so hot out here. Their business um, takes a drop off. Will we but, be uh, able? To, yeah. Okay. Will we be able to see you in the Temecula area this summer? Yes, definitely. And I'm, I'm still in Temecula now. <laughs> I play out here during the week and then in Temecula on the weekends. Where, where are you where, playing? Where can we see you? Um, you know, I just booked another. I'm going to be at Ponte this weekend on Saturday in the brunch time. But I just played their weekend things like three weekends in a row um, in the cellar lounge. <clears throat> and then um, I just played this new one, for me anyway, uh, the other day. Um, called Altissima Winery. It's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Um, and then I just booked another date this morning with them, and that, that was the funnest time I've had in a while. It's not only a beautiful venue, but they have wonderful food, and their wine is uh, incredible. Well, I'll have to try that part. I, I was outside. I didn't get to experience that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have to take your wife. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, we're all aware of all these wineries around here. I just didn't know about that one. It's relatively it's new. It's it's one of the newer ones. Okay. It is beautiful, yeah. sir. It was one of the more stunning ones I have been to, I think. And the views are magnificent. Yes. Yeah, great vistas. And, and Vince, you play solo, or do you have anybody backing you up when you play? Um, it's 98 solo. Wow. I've, I've developed a little thing that's working, and um, it's 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 one of my favorite things to do because I play what I want to play, you know. And um, but I, I do miss camaraderie. Sometimes I'm I'm lonely, but it, it's still really fun. Um, I think anybody that has heard you play knows you really don't need anybody backing you up because you are just totally extraordinary you uh to to watch you and to listen to you play is just sort of mesmerizing because it's just you're just so good i so appreciate that thank you very much i i once um was able to speak with this guy named tommy emmanuel i don't know oh. <laughs> you really have to you, you vince you have to watch him to believe that one person can do that the sounds he produces are just they make your head spin around well, I remember having, having the, the privilege to go speak to the man after a show. Oh. And um, I, I've told a lot of my friends this, but I've, 
I've never uttered these syllables before. I, I said to him, Tommy, I've been playing X so many years, and if there's anyone better than you, I'm unaware of them. <laughs> and his, his reply to me was, I'm trying. Oh, wow. He, he is a phenomenal gu guitarist, and that's a big understatement. He's out of his mind. He is. <laughs> he's so good. But, like, you know, just I took that to heart. I just thought, if he's trying, I'm going to try. And so that's I've been doing that ever since. You look at him and you go, how is one person doing all of that? It's just, you have to see it to believe it, and even then you don't believe it. He's he's just one of a kind, I think. I mean, there's there's a lot of good musicians in the world, but it, what he does, I, I think he's got that cornered. Agreed. Are you playing this coming weekend, or not this weekend, but the following weekend, when our listeners could hear you, or what's your your immediate uh, schedule? The, the weekend of the thirty first. Yes. Yeah. Well, that whole week, like um, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm in Palm Springs, and then Friday I will be in the cellar at Ponte Vineyard Inn, the cellar lounge. Okay. And and then Saturday, the first of April. Um, I met this, I don't know how to pronounce it, Romiglio Ridge Winery and Vineyards. Wow. Uh, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, they're a little bit, I think it's more, uh, it's, they're in Fallbrook. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. And then, yeah, then like I said, Sunday, I'll, oh, no, Sunday I'll be at Ween's Family Cellars. Wonderful. Maybe we'll see you there. Okay. It's been such a pleasure, Vince. I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much, Vince. Thank you for having me. Gosh, it's an honor. Thank you.
are back again. Yes, we are. Although we never left. Uh, Vin, just Vince Mendoza. <laughs> Not only uh, one of the nicest people you'd ever hope to meet, what a phenomenal musician. Oh, he is such a sweetheart. You can't help but love him. See Humble. Him? Very. And um, I can't say enough good things about Vince. So, so what are we going to do next? You want to do another uh, foodie? We could do that. You want to do that? You want to do that? We could do that. All right. I'm going to draw. We'll just do one more each. I'll draw one at random for you, and I'll draw one for myself while you're quizzing me. (gasps) Cooking tools and techniques. You ready? Sure. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, she has dropped the card on the floor. She has dropped the card on the floor. (laughs) I didn't drop it. It just like flew out of your hands. Flew out of my hands. Paneer and queso fresco are both made by adding this ingredient to heated milk. Okay. A. Rennet. R-E-N-N-E-T. Okay. B. Yogurt. C. Fungal spores. Or D. Acid. I'm going to say D. Acid. You're right. Okay. I almost went for for fungal spores. (laughs) Ingredients. If you're at a sushi bar, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, my favorite. <laughs> I'm trying to picture that. You should order this to receive the richest, fattiest part of the tuna. Is it A. Maguro, B. Akami, C. Otoro, or D. Chutoro? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Being that I don't go to sushi bars, um. Oh, gosh. I'll go with A. Answer is C, Otoro. So if you want a nice fatty piece of tuna at the sushi bar, you know what to order. Oh, that that will never happen. (laughs) All right. I met Robert Schuller a little over 10 years ago. I was a member for many years of the International Food, Wine, and Travel Writers Association. And through that, I got invited to go to Melissa's uh, Produce Headquarters in Vernon, California, uh, just outside of L.A., and uh, it's an amazing place. It uh, is. Uh, they handle, uh, like you'll hear him say during the interview, over 1,500 uh, different types of produce at any given time. And uh, I've been in the kitchen many times, and, and they, uh, he, they invite writers. And they I've come been at, with you. Yeah, you have. And Couple when times. when you leave, you're given a box, right? And there's oh, yeah. tables laden with artichokes, oranges, uh beets, you name it, uh, I mean, dozens of different types. Of, and they just say, take what you want. And uh, so. Do you know what I really like about going in there? Besides all of that, there are pictures with, of, of on the walls. Yeah. Yes. Of. Um, uh, Mama Cat is having a meltdown. <laughs> she has, mark this on your calendar. She has lost her mind. <laughs> well, it's. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on her name. <laughs> Michelle Obama. No, Sounds no. Sounds like Julia no, Child. Julia Child, Mike. <laughs> I got Okay. What I really like going in there are all the pictures of Julia Child. It, it kind of gives you chills almost. If it's good enough for Julia Child, it's good enough for me. Yeah. And, and it's just sort of a, a reverence when you walk in and see those pictures because she was absolutely incredible. As is Melissa's. Absolutely incredible. So let's go on to our visit with Robert Schuller.
So excited and happy to have Robert Schuler from Melissa's Produce as a guest on Cords, Vines, and Dines. Kat, you and I have known Robert for a few years now. I think I've known him maybe a little bit longer, but uh, welcome, Robert. Hey, thank you. Hi, Robert. I, I'm just absolutely loving the fruit that you sent us this last week. And I've got so many questions. The, the mangosteens, number one. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yes, the mangosteens, if you didn't know, they are the queen of the fruit in, in, the, in, the, in the fruit world here. Um, they're, they're not named uh, mangosteen uh, uh, because it is, it is actually not related to the mango. And I always get that question. Mangosteen like mango? No, totally different. But it is also called the queen of fruits. The reason for that is because... Uh, the Queen Victoria in England uh, tried mangosteens that were brought in from Asia, and it became her favorite fruit. And that's how it became what it is today. Most people who have ever tried a mangosteen, most have agreed that it's one of the best, if not the best tasting fruit that is available to us in the world. They are a purple fruit. Kind of about the size of a, of a good-sized tomato. It has a purple leather skin, but when you break it open or cut it open, inside is a white segmented fruit. And the flavor profiles, well, Kat and Tom, you guys can talk about what are the flavors that you're tasting when you enjoy a mangosteen? Well, like you said, it's creamy. It's very okay. sweet. Uh, there's almost, to me, a little citrus hint to it, uh, maybe a, a berry. Um, uh, Kat, what do you think? I don't, I don't know if I get the berry. Maybe I get more citrusy. Um, I get like pineapple, mm -hmm. yes. peach, melon, but it's so unusual because you know there's very few fruits that are white. The only other white flesh fruits are like um, lychees. It does have a quality similar to a lychee, rambutan, and a longan, and those are few of the other fruits that are white flesh. But obviously, being a fruit, it contains uh, one to three little seeds on the inside. But it's just a unusual fruit. But in Asia, in uh, in in Mexico and South America, it's very well known. And it's just one of those fruits that we now have available. It wasn't until about 10 years ago that they actually became available to distribute into the United States. So all that time, we never got to experience uh, the mangosteen. And now we do, and they're delicious. And our company, Melissa's Produce, uh, we distribute them um, all over the United States there. Wow. And is it available year-round, or what's the season for a mangosteen? It is uh, typically almost year-round. I'd like to say about nine to ten months out of the year. There are two seasons. Currently, right now, the import season from Mexico is the bulk of the season. And that goes from, right now, what is uh, er, um, late winter early spring and it will go through about the uh, early uh, summer and then from there um where mangosteens are very well known from thailand um they go from the summertime until early fall so yes 
They're not going to be available year-round, but over time and as demand increases, we're going to see that fruit more prolific in your local produce departments. I tell you, you should develop a huge, giant, like, nutcracker to get those things open. It was really <laughs> hard. <laughs> yes, uh, there's two ways you can do it. You can actually either squeeze it, and it starts to kind of rip apart, kind of like a leathery skin. But the easiest way to do it is to score it with a knife, like a steak knife, about a quarter inch all the way around into a circle. And then you can just like pop off or, or like twist it. And it come, and actually, once you take off part of the skin there, the, the fruit is very easy to get out of its shell, very unique shell. Um, you know, it's not like totally tomato shape. It's more like, uh, well, it is round, but it's almost like the shape of like a, a persimmon. Um, yeah. Yes. It also has that calyx, that leaf that kind of grows over the top of the skin um, as it develops. So um, it's an interesting fruit. And like I said, it's only been around for about 10 years here in the United States. But anybody who's been on international trips in South America, Mexico, or especially in Southeast Asia, um, that mangosteen is very well known. I worked with a man who said he had had it in uh, Thailand and he was very familiar with it. And I uh, utilized the method you talked about, scoring it with a knife and it just popped right open. And I will not argue with you, that is one of the most delicious fruits I've ever tasted. Definitely. There you go. Let's talk about ugly fruit or unique fruit, Robert. Tell us about that. Okay, well, I spelled it U-G-L-I or unique, U-N-I-Q. It's the same fruit. This is a crossing of a tangerine and a grapefruit. I think it has more characteristics of a grapefruit because of its larger size. It's called ugly or unique fruit because that's what it looks like <laughs> on the outside. But don't judge a book by its cover. It has a greenish, yellowish, brownish skin that peels as easy as a tangerine. In fact, it almost falls apart as you peel it. Inside is the fruit. It segments just like a tangerine, but um, uh, grapefruit size. And it has the sweetness of the tangerine. It has some acid like a grapefruit. And these fruits are only grown in Jamaica. The season is typically 10 months out of the year so half of the year it will say ugly fruit and the other half will say unique fruit because of the two main growers in jamaica that grow that fruit well i think it's delicious it is i would agree with you closer to a grapefruit but it's it's not really like any other citrus and that the flesh itself is has got a lovely orange color to it Yes, yes, and um, I kind of—it's kind of a, a little bit similar, but probably not as tart than that of a miniola. Now, a miniola is a orange tangerine and slight grapefruit mix, but in terms of the ugly unique fruit, it's a—it's a white grapefruit um, mixed uh, with a tangerine, but the flesh. An exterior is more yellow than the other colors, but you know you will have green colorization and uh, brown colorization on the outside. But when you peel it open, it is 
um, really more similar to the um, yellow, uh, you know, the white flesh grapefruit than anything else. So, Robert, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Miracle Berry Cubes, and then we have a story to tell you about them. Okay. Well, the Miracle Berry is an item that Melissa's had uh, tried introducing about 10 years ago into the marketplace. It's an actual berry. You can Google it. It looks like a little red berry, uh, like a holly berry, a little bit bigger. Um, and this particular fruit grows in a lot of, um, um, seems to be found in a lot of third world countries like Africa, in the continents of Africa, in an area where grow, the growing season is very short. And um, there's a reason for that. Um, so, you know, obviously with the, in, in, in most of the continents of Africa, there's um, a lot of areas that are very hot, um, especially from the summer to the fall. And then, of course, then there's, there's the monsoon season. That gives very few... Uh, fruiting trees that actually have a chance to grow in such a, you know, unusual weather climate. This is also an area where you find these miracle berries growing. But, you know, typically in a lot of the desert areas of Africa, there are citrus trees, especially grapefruit. And the thing is, is that grapefruit has a season um, and it's very short in Africa. So, the miracle berry is used as a way to be able to to consume grapefruit even when it's green and hard on the outside. But these miracle berries cubes are they they um they only we only sell them in the produce department. It is brand new in a package. It's almost like a what you would say like a a freeze dried uh, fruit. Um, so you. You take one of these Miracle Berry cubes, there's about a dozen of them in the bag, almost a dozen, and what it does is it neutralizes your palate, your your taste buds, and it makes something that once tastes sour, it makes it taste sweet. So I invite you to try this. Get some Miracle Berry cubes, enjoy one like a candy, but it's the the, the um, actual enzyme is um, from that of a fruit called the miracle berry, and then just a minute after consuming the miracle berry, which tastes like I would say candy, go ahead and bite into a lemon. Go ahead and bite into a lime. Go ahead and bite into a grapefruit. Anything that makes you pucker, it <laughs> is not going to taste sour it's actually gonna taste sweet okay it's just one of those items you've got to try yes i i, I agree absolutely let me tell you about our experience we uh, we tried them last friday and it was cat's birthday she's born on saint patrick's day so we tried it with the little miracle berry cube and then we bit into a lemon and it certainly was a lot sweeter and we read the package it said the effects last from 20 to 40 minutes well, two hours later, we were out to dinner and we took our first sips of wine and went, wow, this wine tastes really sweet. And it took about another hour for it to fade away. 
Yes, it will uh, do different things to different palettes. That's around the average 20, 40 minutes. Sometimes it lasts longer, but I'm sure it made a dry uh, glass of wine taste like almost like sugar wine, like Moscato <laughs> dessert wine, right? <laughs> It did, but what an experience! And I, I, along with you, I recommend to our listeners that they go out and uh, go to melissas dot com and order some Miracle Berry cubes. I think you'll be amazed. Yes, it's definitely one of those bucket list items. You gotta, you gotta experience it to actually realize how unusual these fruits that are grown in third world countries are used. Um, as a way to be able to enjoy a fruit that has not ripened on the tree or make something that doesn't taste so sweet and and starchy that can taste absolutely sweet and dynamite like candy. So uh, tasting is believing, I guess, in that regard. I agreed. We have two items left on our plate. You sent us more than that, but this is uh, what we're going to cover today. Let's uh, we'll start with the yellow dragon fruit, and we'll wind up with the pink pineapple, which is a mind blower. Okay, um, the yellow dragon fruit. First of all, Melissa is the largest variety supplier of uh, tropical fruits in the United States. One of the most trendy new newer ones in the last fifteen years when we when Melissa's first made dragon fruit available here in the United States. This is a fruit that is uh, extremely popular in Southeast Asia, kind of like the, the, the mango seed. But they're also grown in Central and South America, where they're referred to as pataya. Uh, pataya means fruit of the cactus. Anyway, the drag- there's actually three different varieties of dragon fruit that are available to us in the United States. And each of them have a different sweetness level they have all a very similar texture to them and 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 also looking at them they look the same however the most common is the white flesh dragon fruit which is a pink dragon fruit with white flesh and little black seeds then uh there's a there's a sweeter version i would say the white flesh version is very mild then there's a slightly sweeter variety called the red dragon fruit it's pink on the outside just like the white one um, but the flesh on the interior is like a red magenta color. The only way you'll know the difference between those dragon fruit is reading the sticker of what the flesh color is. However, we're talking about yellow dragon fruit. The yellow dragon fruit are actually yellow on the outside. The flesh is white with the little black seeds, just like the other dragon fruits with the little black seeds. However, this yellow dragon fruit is I guess, what you would say in sweetness levels and enjoyment, just like the mango steam. It, too, is a white flesh fruit with little black seeds, in this case, like a berry. And, wow, it is dynamite. Absolutely packed with flavor. I love that dragon fruit. Now, uh, all your fruit, like the dragon fruit you say, comes from Southeast Asia or, you know, tropical area. Um, I know there's a few growers in the U.S., probably not many because of the climate. Do you source anything um, from local, or does it come from um, overseas? Okay, well, currently the season um, is imported in. It comes from Vietnam, it comes from Nicaragua, um, it comes from Guatemala. So, But there is a, actually a large domestic season 
the domestic season will start up in just a, um, in the next month or so out of the state of Florida. Florida is one of two states that grow them. And then in the summertime, it is the California season. That is the original, where the original dragon fruit came from when we first started growing them here in the United States. They're actually grown in Southern California in the area of Fallbrook and San Diego. The hillsides are covered with these vining cactuses producing these um, awesome fruit, the pink-skinned uh, ones. However, the yellow dragon fruit, the one uh, that is the sweetest and the one I like the most, is actually from the country of Ecuador. Wow. It is so delicious. So delicious. Yes. And, and dragon fruit has become so popular, you know, popular as at the juice bars, at like frozen yogurt areas across the country, and also even at popular coffee shops to put them in like a drink, like a tea drink or whatnot. So the dragon fruit is available uh, in the last few years and now, uh, 365 days out of the year because of the consumer demand for that. Yeah, I'm a fan. Me too. I love it. Please, I, please tell us about pink pineapple, Robert. I'm looking at it, and there, there's no mistaking it's pink. It is pink. Uh, you couldn't tell that on the outside, but when you cut it open, the flesh is pink. But there's something special about the pink pineapples. I know most people are familiar with the gold pineapples. Delicious. Now, how are they different? Well, Pink pineapples are a little bit pricey, mainly because of the supply and demand. The demand exceeds um, the supply that's available to them. So they're a bit pricey right now. At your local store, you'll find them for about in the $20 range there. Um, and it's going to be like that for a while. I remember when we helped introduce them um, with Del Monte, who's the grower out of Costa Rica. Oh, if you didn't know, like, Commercially, all pineapple, the gold ones, and of course, all these pink ones are from Costa Rica. That's been pretty much the standard for a very long time here in the United States there. But the pink pineapple, they are one sweeter than the gold pineapples. But the biggest difference is the acidity of the gold common pineapple that you eat has a lot of acid so it's a lot of acidity you know like tanginess however these pink pineapples um are super sweet and low acid so for those who uh, don't enjoy uh, regular pineapple because it stings their gums you might not have a problem enjoying the pink pineapple uh the next time you make a fruit salad or a tropical drink there Give it a try. They've been very, uh, very much a novelty gift to give for birthdays and anniversaries, and then with special events, you know, like Mother's Day or Easter or Passover, you know, some special occasion. It seems to be a very novel item that people are into. If you Google it or search it on the uh, on the social media. Um, out there you'll find so much about what people are doing with it and how special this particular fruit is really delicious and like you said non-acidic and uh, i highly recommend cat was a little bit brokenhearted because they come without a crown and she likes to grow the pineapples 
Oh, yes. And that is the reason why it doesn't come with the greenery, the crown on top, because at the grower level, uh, the pink pineapple represents less than 1% of the pineapples that are growing. So when they do harvest, they cut off the crown to replant for the next generation, which would be a couple years, two or three years before it matures enough to produce another pineapple. And that's that's another unique feature. At your local stores, you're only going to find pink pineapple without the green tops. Perfectly understood. Perfectly uh, makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm, go ahead, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm wondering too by the pink. Is it giving it uh, some beta carotene? You know, everybody says eat your colors, and um, this is definitely color. Do you know anything yes, about that? Yes, it does or? have the antioxidant qualities to it. It's also a lipopene, um, which is typically a fruit that is has the colorization of red and pink. Um, definitely. Um, um, even though by USDA standards, uh, since they haven't made a new universal code uh, for the nutritional labels, um, you do play upon the antioxidant qualities that are in that particular color versus gold and yellow, which have another set of antioxidants that uh, the fruit allows. But really, it comes down to flavor. Yeah, it does. Um Robert, you're so knowledgeable on everything. How did you get started at Melissa's? What's your background? Okay, well, thank you uh, for asking that. Um, Actually, I've been the spokesperson and director uh, of public relations for Melissa's for almost 26 years now. Um, When I finished college with my degree, my business of science and marketing, I really uh, was really into wanting to be pursue a career in the food industry. And I, in my college where I graduated from Cal State Long Beach in the job tracker, um, which was at that time a newspaper that posts um, some local jobs, I came across an ad for uh, a job offering in marketing department uh, for a food company called World Variety Produce, ah. aka the brand name Melissa's Produce, and that's how it all became to be. I've been, uh, like I said, I've been speaking for the company for now 26 years. Um, I am a director now, and through that time, I've acquired a lot of knowledge. I started uh, our company's website, Melissa's.com. Uh, 20 some years ago and our, our all of our social media handles which are at Melissa's Produce and during that time also created seven produce cookbooks with our chef team uh, at Melissa's as well because over time being in the industry and being at that company for so long for a company that produces and provides and distributes over 1500 different produce items you just acquire a lot of knowledge about all the products. And we've been privileged... So in a nutshell. Uh, we, we've been privileged enough to uh, have been in Melissa's kitchen a few times, and uh, that it's amazing. And uh, what, what comes out of that kitchen is incredible. The books are wonderful. Well, thank you, guys. Yes. Um, our, uh, we have a corporate uh, test kitchen in, in our facility. We're located in South Los Angeles. It's our only facility... For all the United States, we actually distribute it in all 50 states and Canada. We import from about 40 different countries. When it's not available domestically, 
we source internationally. And when, you know, it's winter and cold here in the United States, we look below the equator to find the produce items that are in season and make them available here at your local store or even at food service at restaurants that we distribute to in as well uh, as best we can and if possible on a year-round basis. Robert, quickly before we go, I wanted to touch on a couple of other items, the Ojai Pixies and the baby russet potatoes, which are so cute. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We couldn't talk right now. During the months of March, April, May, and early June, I hands down, one of the best-tasting fruits and one of my favorites are the Ojai Pixie Tangerines. These are late-season tangerines. They actually just started up in uh, early March. And they'll go until early June. They are like what I say, like the perfect tangerine. They are grown in Ojai, California, uh, which is unique to all the other tangerines that are grown more in Central California there in the Fresno area. These are grown on the coast of Southern California, not too far from Ventura, about 15 miles in, where they where that Ojai Valley um, is pretty much like 90% of the crop is Ojai Pixie Tangerines. These are the sweetest, the juiciest, the seedless, easy to peel, and just so delicious because they're a late season uh, variety that stay on the vine much longer because of the proximity of the Ojai Mountains, which are from east to west versus north and south. The sun is on these tangerines from morning into night, and that is the secret to why these Ojai Pixie tangerines are so delicious. They really are. Uh, I had gotten a bag uh, before, and you had a great recipe on there. I think it was for scones. And I saved the bag just so I could make it. I haven't made it yet, but I'm going to make it. I was waiting to get some more tangerines. Melissa's.com has got hundreds, if not thousands, of incredible recipes. Right, Robert? Yes. On Pixie tangerines, I'd say there's at least 15, maybe 20 different varieties from desserts to drinks uh, and cooking from side dishes, using sauces and dressings. There's nothing you can't do with it. In fact, um, if you're ever in Ojai, California during the season, they, in that town, because it's like the, the, it's like the official fruit of Ojai, California, many of the restaurants serve it, but there is the hotel, the, the, one of the famous Ojai hotels in the downtown area. You can get a pixie tangerine uh, facial and massage ah. where they infuse it um, uh, in the whole process and, you know, everything in terms of decorations and, and you know, just driving through the small town of Ojai, California. Uh, you will really embrace what Ojai Pixies is all about. Robert, we could go on for hours, but unfortunately we have another uh, call lined up. Um, can we do this again in another three to six months? Any season. All sure, right. of course. Let's, let's talk about all the exciting, great varieties that are available to us in the summer months. That would be awesome. We'll stay in touch. And thank you again so much, Robert, for being <laughs> our guest on Cords, Vines, and Dines. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Cat and Tom. Isn't that fun talking with Robert? I love Robert, and uh, like I said, we we go back quite a few years. And I also wanted to tip my hat to the folks at Garcia de la Cruz Olive Oil. 
primarily an olive oil producer, but they also have come out or are coming out with stuffed olives that we got to taste at this event in uh, Irvine, wasn't it? Irvine the other night? Yeah, that and was so good. Three, they, they have garlic stuffed, pimento stuffed, and our b- favorite, both of us, was the manchego cheese stuffed oh, olives. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we've got three of their olive oils. They have an everyday olive oil. They have an extra virgin, and then they have an early harvest. And so they uh, were kind enough to send us all three. And so we're we're going to be enjoying olive oil and, and delicious olive oil. Do you know that that today is National Spinach Day? Ah, uh, Popeye. Hello, Popeye. You know, spinach is an annual plant, and it's thought to originate in ancient Persia. Did you know Pro- that? No, I did not know that. Arab traders carried spinach into India and later introduced it into ancient China. Uh, there it was known as Persian vegetable. The earliest available record of the spinach plant was found in a Chinese document. Uh, it noted that the spinach plant was introduced into China via Nepal. Now, this is really, I thought, very interesting. Okay. During her reign as Queen of France, Catherine de Medici yep. got it, enjoyed spinach so much that she ate it at every meal. Today, dishes made with spinach are known as Florentine. Yes, that's reflecting true. Reflecting Catherine's birth in Florence. Wow. I thought that was very interesting. And you know how picky I am about vegetables, and I love spinach. Oh, you are picky. I do love spinach. Sorry. Yeah, I do. All right. What a great show. And just thanks to our guest, Joel Karsten, the straw bale gardener, Vince Mendoza, guitarist extraordinaire, Robert Schuler from Melissa's Produce. Thank you. Um, let's end, Kat, with, uh, we've got some more music from Vince. To, yeah, we're going to gonna go out, end the show with Vince's moment of clarity. And I have a, a quote for the day before okay. we say goodbye. This is from Dr. Peter Newman. The southern hemisphere starts the winter, while the northern part of our globe welcomes the spring. Going through cycles is part of Earth's nature. It is partly cycles. It is partly our human nature, too. Physically psychologically, economically, etc. There seem to be cycles. Each cycle has its challenges. Smartly adjusting to those makes life safer and richer. We can do the same with adjusting to and being prepared for our mental and spiritual seasons, growing up, getting older, being eternal, etc. Actually, that adjusting takes place in us every time we change from whichever dark season in us to a sphere of love and honesty wherever we can find it. Very good. And that's the thought for the day, the quote for the day. That's very good. Thanks for listening to Chords, Vines, and Dines. And back to Vince Mendoza and Moment of Clarity. And until next Sunday. Until next Sunday. See you then.